a heart that breaks for a dying city. Stop cursing your future. <laughs> is not true. For all intents and purposes, I am a woman. No government, no political system has ultimate supremacy. Jesus is king of kings, and it's about time our nation returned in humble submission to his lordship. You are not protecting women. You are authorizing the destruction of 500,000 little women every year. Oh, I didn't uh, start it. But sir, sir, with all due respect, that's the argument of a five-year-old. I didn't start it. Right, when the spirit comes upon people, they go to war. They go to battle, and the enemies of God are driven back, and they're slaughtered. You are listening to Cross Politic with Gabe Wrench, the Waterboy, Pastor Toby Sumter, and the Chocolate Knox. Hey, y'all, welcome to Cross Politic Live at University of Idaho. That's nice. Go Vandals. Joe Vandal. Thank you all for coming. I'm the Waterboy. This is Chocolate Knox, and this is Pastor Toby, and, and, and the mic fits Knox better than it fits me. That's why I took it off the handle. I'm going to hold my yeah. own mic. It's probably a good idea. Gabe, you know how old you are? I, I'm not a five-year-old. I know you're, that. You're so old that you thought the Bruce Pittman Center was the sub. It was. It's true. Hey. We end up in the wrong building. The, the Bruce Pittman Center used to be the sub, ball, ball, uh, the sub when I was here. I was here um, in 2002, and I graduated in 2005. It took me six years to get through college, and University <laughs> of Idaho was my third college. <laughs> And that's also why I ended up in the communications department. Oh. Um, it was me, a couple of feminists, and all the football players. And uh, no joke. I mean, I'm not, not a, that's not funny. It, it, it literally, literally was. No, no, that's funny. That is funny. So uh, I am a cherished alum here. At, yeah, the, they love me. Oh. University we'll of Idaho. They have loves you me. back. Yeah, yeah. This. And uh, when I was up on campus, one of the things, uh, I never, we never do this. I never do this. Uh, but up front, what we want to press with you is that without God, without a seeking of truth, without finding truth, the wheels will fall apart. Okay, that's the big idea. Uh, when I was here in 2002 to 2005, um, all the social justice stuff was going on. Like the social justice Me Too culture was nothing new to me and not surprising to me when it started going you know, full force in what, 2016, 17, 18. Um, and, and so that was, that was my classroom experience. I mean, I took, again, I major in communications. Um, <laughs> I took classes like human diversity and stratification, aging and sex, gender and sex, I think is what it was. Um, it, and again, it was me and a couple of feminists and football players just trying to get through class so they could play football. So what was your excuse? Uh, <laughs> I was a basketball player. <laughs> ah, okay. Makes more sense now. I played, I played basketball in college, so most of my credits um, wouldn't transfer to any other program except for communications. Okay. All right. Also, true story. <laughs> and, and so that was, in, in, my, in my college, I mean, I remember human diversity and stratification was a Wednesday night, three-hour course, and that's all it was about. What are your thoughts on social justice? What are your thoughts on, on this? What are your thoughts on, on that? And, and I would give her my thoughts, and I would get, you know, D's on the paper. <laughs> Seriously. And thought my thoughts were good. <laughs> Innovative. Um, and, and, and they, then, they, w they didn't want to be that diverse. No, no, they didn't, they, yeah. <laughs> they didn't want my diversity. They didn't want my thoughts on social justice. They wanted me to parrot whatever was going on in class. Uh, and that same teacher, uh, for those of you who, who, who don't know the history of my church, Christ Church in King's Cross in town, we also used to do a, a history conference up here on campus. That same teacher 
was offering a one-credit course to um, students to protest our history conference. And our history conference was up in the old, the old sub ballroom where we ended up first. The real here, sub. The, the real sub. What I know is the real sub. And, and I remember, what, and, and the class was something like, called something like civil disobedience or, um, you know, uh, <laughs> something, you know, so protesting our history conference, I guess, was some sort of form of civil disobedience. Um, but I remember walking out of the protest and seeing my teacher with some of my classmates and, you know, a, a woman with a, uh, wedding dress on, giving me the middle finger um, because I was some sort of supposed racist. Um, I was walked out with Chris Washington, yeah. one of our black Greyfriars students at the time, and it was just the weirdest, weirdest thing. So that that was kind of the context. And, and one other uh, one other example, I had a 400 level class as a senior level class. I made it that far, and uh, I remember doing a re uh, the the teacher assigned a half hour presentation and report on a political leader. And so I thought for fun, I would choose a Blinken. And the teacher graded, he graded my paper, and on the paper he said, you didn't, you didn't cite enough sources. You didn't cite, um, uh, I think he said like something like more sources, enough sources, something like that. And my paper was all quoting Abe Lincoln. That's all it quoted. And he gave me, the only reason why I got an 80 is because I had a foreign exchange student doing that project with me and she couldn't write in English. She couldn't type in English, so I ended up I ended up doing everything, and of course, it ended up being my thoughts on a Blinken, not hers. And she probably didn't really have any. <laughs> um, I, I got her in trouble, basically. Um, but my teacher, that same teacher, wouldn't meet with me outside the classroom, uh, wouldn't respond to my emails. It's university policy to respond to student emails within 24 hours, and I couldn't get any conversation with any of my professors on this stuff. Mm. The, probably the most weirdest experience I had in the classroom was I was taking a communications class, and they showed a 30-minute video on women's circumcision in Africa. Somehow, it was some sort of you know, power structure. You know, her whole point was, you know, look at the male power structures over in Africa, and look what they do to women. And, you know, I kind of wonder how she'd think about the transgender movement now, because um, she was against it then. Is she against it now? I, you know, I don't know. Uh, and so that's the backdrop, and that's been going on, I mean, longer than me. I mean, I was here 2002, 2005, but universities from the beginning were most, uh, well, you know, Harvard, um, Harvard, I, I, Harvard's motto, most universities were founded, steeped in, in Christian values, Christian efforts, Christian vision of how to inculcate truth into its students. Harvard's mission statement, 19, uh, 1642, says, everyone shall consider, shall consider as the main end of his life and studies to know God and Jesus Christ, which is eternal life. That's Harvard. Harvard's um, president just got fired for being an anti-Semite, basically, and, and plagiarizing. plagiarizing. And so university culture, the whole point of universities was to seek truth, find truth, and defend truth. And we don't have that anymore. Right. I remember when uh, my, my wife went here, um, just before you were here in like 2000, 2001, 2002, she was an elementary ed major initially. And I remember her coming home and telling me like how many, so, so many of her classes had to do with her, like they wanted the same kind of thing. They wanted like, how do you feel mm -hmm. about this? Mm -hmm. how, how, how do you feel? Tell us how you feel. Here, have a log, keep a log of how, how you feel about you know, these various, and, and it was like, it was strange because she was like, aren't they supposed to be teaching me? Mm -hmm. Like we're paying you money to, teach us, and you want me to spend my time telling you what I 
what I think. Mm -hmm. um, and that was in 2000, 2001, 2002. Um, you were mentioning earlier about the um, taking tours on, uh, when we were campus. talking before the That's show. Right. What did you say about tours of the campus? You, so when I was, uh, I've been involved in, um, I, I used to work at MZ, which is now Lightcast, and we worked with colleges all over the nation. Um, I worked, I did, led marketing and student recruitment at New St. Andrews for a couple years. Uh, and, and then um, I've been involved in kind of the politics of education since 2016. You look at public universities now, you go, um, you, you guys might have experienced this when you came and looked at U University of Idaho or the college that you're currently attending right now, and they bring you on campus and they take you on the money walk. And that money what walk. What do you call it? The money walk. The money walk. The money walk. What's Everyone. The, what's the money walk? The money walk is where they take you to all the amenities on campus. They take you to, you know, LSU has a, a lazy river, um, $50 million lazy river shape uh, in, the, in the letters L-S-U. <laughs> Seriously. They, um, uh, there's uh, universities that have ski hills that you can ski right on the campus from the hill. You have five-star restaurants, um, trains that go around campus. I mean, just Google this stuff. But what they do is they sell you on the amenities, and they take you, the money walk is taking you to all the cool amenities, the rock climbing wall, you know, the basketball gym, stuff like that. But they never take you into the classroom. You never, unless you ask, maybe, maybe they might put you, let you go see one teacher, and, but they will not take, put you in the classroom on that money walk because either they're embarrassed of what's going on in that classroom because maybe you have some sort of assistant teacher in there, or because they actually know what's going on in that classroom and they don't want you to see it. They want you to sign the dotted line, get in the class, and then they can re-educate re you. And that's the money walk. And so you, a, 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 lot of, you know, a lot of parents who remember their college days from 19, you know, 60s and 70s when Christ was allowed on campus and when the fraternities, which were also fraternities and sororities, were started by Christians, very Christian organization, one, one, one of the first fraternities to ever start it was a Lutheran fraternity started by a pastor in Illinois because he's responsible for the spiritual health of his students. Hmm. So the fraternities and sororities were started as Christians, but they won't, uh, they, they'll take you down that money walk and they'll take you right to where you want to go because they want you here on campus. And that's why it, right now, college campus, it's a, it's a race to the amenities. It's not a race to the truth. It's not a race to the, to the, to the classroom. It's a race to who can have the biggest amenities here on campus, and that's why U of I gets a new basketball stadium when they already had a basketball gym. But this is, it's actually worse than that. It's, it's, it's not only do they not care about truth, but it seems like we've also got to the point where university culture is actually antagonistic to truth. It, like, that's right. Um, it, just a couple of years ago here on University of Idaho campus, um, there were three Christian law students. This is, last, this is 2022. Yeah, 2022. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. A year and a half ago. Um, th there was, there was a, uh, an event where uh, a racial slur of some sort was uh, left on a whiteboard or something in some classroom. And so there was this like coming together uh, event um, that um, the student body was invited to come to just show solidarity and we're against um, uh, that, uh, that kind of hate. And, and, this, and, the, and the Christian Legal Society um, chapter had a table at the, at the event. Well, in the middle of the event, somebody comes up and asks them what their view of human sexuality is and marriage is, and these Christian law students are, just answer the question. Well, we believe God created us in his image, male and female, marriage between one man and one woman, just basic you know, Genesis stuff. And a couple of days later, they, um, they get um, uh, this... Uh, um, what, what do you call it? A no contact order against them. Yeah. Um, with that student who came to yeah, them and asked with, the question. With the student that had yeah. asked them questions. 
Um, and they didn't have an opportunity to answer their accuser, didn't have an opportunity to defend themselves. Um, so they don't have any um, recourse but to sue the university. Um, and, um, but it's like, that's like how do we get to a place there where you're asked a question about what you believe and what you believe is true. And um, you, you might get a no contact order brought against you. Um, or a lawsuit. Or a lawsuit uh, because of what you believe is true. I mean, mm -hmm. how, I mean, it's not just that truth isn't, is, is nobody's interested in truth. We'd rather, you know, have the lazy river or the ski slope, mm -hmm. but it's, we actually hate it. Like, yeah. Anymore, like the more you speak the truth, the more you act. And I mean, I don't know, I mean, how you all feel, but like many, I mean, it's not, I mean, it's been, it's been challenging for Christians to exist in university culture, I mean, for a, a, a number of decades now, but increasingly so. I mean, when, when, the, when the professor is giving you the lecture on, um, you know, Darwinian evolution, on, on the Big Bang, on how old the, the universe is, or sexuality, or whatever, like, I mean, I, I mean how many Christians stand up or raise their hand and, yeah. and, and actually um, say, well, you know, have you considered creationism? Um, you know, have you considered the scientific case uh, for a young earth? Have you, I mean, and if there is a desire for truth in the classroom, then the teacher would be also willing to present the other side. Yeah. I remember my, my geology professor did a whole class, whole two classes, three classes on evolution and how the world, back then, it was 4.6 billion years old. Now I think it's like six yeah, back, seven, eight, back, whatever. Back when the Bruce Pittman Center was the sub uh, <laughs> ballroom, way back, yeah, way yeah, back then. Yeah. And I went up to class afterwards and said, "Hey, I got a, I got a great, uh, 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 my elder Gordon Wilson yeah. has his PhD and would be great to come in class and talk oh. about the other view." And he said, "Oh, we don't do that here. Yeah. <laughs> we don't, we don't do that here." Yeah, which is a way of saying we don't do truth. Yeah, like um, we don't want truth. I mean, I mean, interestingly enough, I'm, I'm, I'm an, I'm an alum of, of New St. Andrews College here in town. Graduated in 2002, and we read Darwin's Origin of Species. That's right. At, Not U of I. At, at New St. Andrews. Yeah. We, we read Darwin. Um, why? Because we believe in truth. Because it, the, the way of finding out truth, you hear both sides. You hear multiple sides, yeah. and, you, and you learn to interact with it. Um, but if you, if you don't do that, then, I mean, basically what that amounts to is propaganda. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's, what you're, that's, that's ultimately uh, what you're left with. Um, Gabe, one more thing. I want you to tell the story about um, a recent conversation you told me about um, interviewing a university student oh. for a possible job. Yeah, and I think we'll connect the dots here towards uh, the end of the show about this. But um, the, the, you, this goes back to if you don't want truth, if you don't have truth in your classroom, it, it's going to hurt you in the end. If you don't fight for it, it's going to hurt you in the end. I it's not just dumb. Yeah. <laughs> it, it doesn't work. It's and, useless. And, and nor does it stay on the college campus. Right, yeah, right. don't stop there. And uh, I just literally... Today, interviewed a student who's about to graduate from a university. I didn't intend for you to be so specific, Gabe, for yeah. people to know about what you today. He, you know, <laughs> sorry, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's watching... no one in this room. <laughs> far, far away. I, I far, said, far away. I said recently. Far, far away. His name was Bob, but no, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Poor Bob. Um, and uh, um, I was interviewing him about um, a possible marketing job um, for Fight Life Feast Network, and um, he, uh, I just asked him, I was like, you know, um, have you, you know, taken any classes on, on how to manage social media and social media strategies and marketing strategies? And, and he's like, no. Um, I was like, have you taken any classes on, on content creation? You know, could you write a script for me? Um, no. Um, have you uh, taken any classes on um, uh, uh, video editing and, you know, basically basic 
marketing skills that you need for the workforce. And, and then he just kind of rattled off. He's like, no, that's why I need a job is because I need to, I need to learn these skills. But, that, I have a, that, but I have a degree in marketing. And, but that's what he was admitting. He was saying, <laughs> I, I'm here at this university not getting taught what I need to get taught for the, for the workforce. But he knows about microaggressions. Yeah, and, right. and safe spaces. So, so connect the dots of how you get to the point where you give up truth and you can't get a job. Yeah. So or I'm, you don't have work skills. So What's here, the... Here's my thesis, and I'm curious to hear what you guys think. So I, I think everybody has, everybody has a master narrative. Everybody is working with a master narrative about the way the world is. Everybody in that sense actually believes in truth. They believe that the world is a, is, is a certain way. Um, and I think that modern university uh, culture has largely embraced a master narrative that everything is fundamentally a power struggle. That's the master narrative. Everything is fundamentally a power struggle. And there are, so there are those with power and those are w those without power. There are those who have a voice. That's why you hear, you know, give them a voice. And those who do not have a voice. There are those... Like white Christians. Um, <laughs> Gabe, <laughs> don't tell them the... You know. um, the ruling class, the lower class, I mean, all, you, ha you have this dynamic. Everything is, 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 um, is divvied out in terms of power dynamics because that's the master narrative. The master narrative is that everything works in terms of power and who has power and who doesn't, the haves and the have-nots. Um, but this is back to your point about Harvard. The original universities were not built this way. The original universities right. uh, were um, built on a master narrative um, that truth sets humanity free. That's right. Not, so it, it, wasn't a, it wasn't first and foremost a power struggle, but it was rather that if you know the truth, then you can build truth. You can understand the way the world works, and you can transcend your current circumstances. It will actually literally set you free. Truth is what allows people to have liberty. Truth is what allows people to, again, to transcend maybe where their parents were or their grandparents were. They can learn real facts about the way the world really works. And apply them. And they can apply it. And, and it, you know, they can apply this to their, you know, it, and this is mathematics, this is engineering, this is science, this is medicine, um, this is right. um, um, the history, all of these things. Um, and, and, and this is because truth is objective. And, and, the, and the thing that I, I want to press here about um, that being objective is means, that means that truth is available to everyone. That's right. Truth right. is available to everyone. Truth is not something that is only available to one class of people. Truth is not something that's only available to one nationality or one sex. There's a, there's a term for this. It's standpoint epistemology. Mm. Where it's only it's only available to you to, and to you. Yeah. That's right. 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 Um, but I think if but if, if but if power is the fundamental reality, if yeah. power is the fundamental reality, then it is necessarily limited to those who have it. And, you're, and, and then if, and if they've got it, then you don't. And, and, you need to, and, and, and therefore, you're being oppressed. Mm -hmm. And this is why everything comes back to then, if you're going to make it in the world, then you need to point out how you're being oppressed. You need to point out how someone else is uh, taking advantage of you or using you or not giving you an opportunity. But that becomes the focus of a university. That becomes the focus of an education because, well, that's the way the world works. If that's the way the world works, then you need classes Yep. on where all those microaggressions and oppressions are happening because that's how the world works. But and, if, and you need the cultural safe spaces on campus for, for, in, in, for in, the in, feminists. In order to do for, that. For the, the, the Black Lives Matter student groups on campus. The, and the last thing here, just real quick, and then I want to hear what you guys 
Thing because mm-hmm. I'm I'm just a preacher and that's what I do. That's I just, what you do. I just preach. That's what I do. preach. Um, but if um, but if I think the other thing that's related to all this is that it, I think materialism is is one of the other major factors at work here. Mm-hmm. Um, if Darwin is right, if uh, materialism is true, if everything is ultimately fundamentally material matter, physical stuff, um, then that means that everything comes down to our physical circumstances, our material circumstances. That's all you have, your physical material opportunities. Whether it's your skin color, whether it's your national origin, your sex, uh, your IQ, um, whatever. Um, but, and the thing about that means, uh, what that means is that you're not then fundamentally responsible for you. You're a victim of your circumstances. You, you, only, you got the genes you got. You got the pigment in your skin you got. You got the shape of your you know, nose that you got. You got the sex that you got, whatever. And, and so... Um, and but now, even that's being challenged. Right. I know, we're yeah. trying. Which, yeah. but, which means that we're not actually fundamentally responsible, and it's someone else's fault. You see, if, if everything is a power struggle, then uh, you're a victim. If everything is a power struggle, whatever successes you don't have is someone else's uh, fault. Everything then really is a microaggression and depression. Um, and, and, and what truth does is it, it inherently makes you have to be responsible. Right. It makes exactly. everybody exactly. have to be Exa- responsible. Yeah. And so there's, I think there's two master narratives here, um, at least, at work. And I know it's not clear cut, and I know there can be overlap, but at the same, I think there is this, there's a dominant narrative that has overtaken university campuses which says that fundamentally it's a power struggle, and that's therefore what we need to focus on in our classes. Um, as opposed to recognizing that fundamentally uh, truth um, is what sets people free. Truth is what enables people uh, to flourish. Um, but if it's a power struggle, then you really have to shut up whoever's getting in your way. You really do have to get a, you have to get a restraining order. Right. <laughs> you need to get a restraining order and get them to stop saying stuff because it's getting in, your, in the way of your flourishing. But that, that's, that's only the case if power really is the fundamental reality uh, of the world. And often, this, this power struggles in the classroom is pretty subversive. It's not, um, uh, they, they don't come out and state it. I, um, no, it's, it's, but it's why you can't talk about creationism. Yeah, that's right. Um, you no, know, it pops up when you, when, you, when you rub up against it. Right. I, and back to my human diversity and stratification class. That, I think I'm tired of that. Class. It's a, it was, <laughs> at, at one point in the class, um, the final um, was a beat poetry. Um, and I, I did beat poetry on the man. It was, it was hilarious. Like I was just. You remember any of it? I was, no, I, no. I, wish, I should not ask. I wish, I wish I had it. I would be happy to do a little beat poetry yeah. on well, the maybe man it's for you be- guys Maybe here. it's yeah. better. Maybe it's better. But one class uh, is again. It was a three-hour class on Wednesday night. One class, the teacher asked me, "Hey, can can we, the class, ask you about your church, um, your schools, your community?" And I was like, "Sure." And so they took an ha- hour and a half and just drilled me with questions. And at the end of that hour and a half before break, there was a break between, um, uh, I mean, I was just answering questions. They were challenging me on everything. And it was really, it was really the teacher and like a couple uh, liberals in the class. Uh, the, other, the rest of the class was like, what's going on here? This is really weird. The football players didn't care. They, they didn't even, they were, they were on their phones. <laughs> and They didn't have phones back then. <laughs> no, we didn't. We didn't have, we didn't have a smartphone. We, That's how old we are. We had a uh, Nokia. I had a Nokia flip phone. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. Um, so they weren't on their phones. <laughs> <laughs> they really weren't paying attention then. That's what it comes down to. Um, but the 
the teacher's assistant, who she called a mentor because teaching assistant was too much power over language, so she called a mentor. <laughs> At the uh, <laughs> end of that hour and a half grilling of me, he stands up and like, I hate your church, I hate your schools, I hate your pastor. I mean, just like went off. But hate has no place here. And yeah, yeah, yeah. Hayden has. Oh, yeah. oh oops. And. And I responded to him, and I said, hey, have you ever been to my church? You know, have you ever been down the halls of New St. Andrews? Have you ever, you know, met with my pastor? You know, glad to set all that up. And he's like, no. And I just looked to the rest of the class and said, hey, these are the kind of people that are lying about us in the community. They don't mm. see anything. They don't experience us. They, they, they don't go visit us and see in the flesh what's really going on. And the teacher got on me in front of the class. The teacher said, don't you ever talk to my mentor like that again in front of class. <laughs> But, but what was hilarious about it is the whole class just saw what happened. Yeah. You know, he, he looked like a clown, and she looked like an idiot. And the whole class was like, really? You're going you're gonna to chastise Gabe for what the mentor just did? So, but those, those are the kind of power dynamics that happen. The mentor, you know, not the teaching assistant, but they're still running those same power dynamics in the classroom. And you know if you stand up and bring a counter narrative, you're going to rub up against those power dynamics. Um, but you have to. And, and part, of the reason exactly. that, part of the reason that you have to is because this really has real-world consequences. When Gabe was talking about the guy interviewing for a job, that's bad, but he will develop a certain set of skills eventually, and he'll get to a place where he can get a job. He, he's he's going the right direction. He, he's yep. going the right direction. Yep. But, you know, I've been able to observe and watch and read and understand over the last 50 or 60 years this type of lie that this is not your fault or you're not responsible for your situation that you're in. This is something that is someone else's fault. This is um, the, because of the color of your skin or this is because the historical things have happened to you. You can't get out of this situation. You're stuck here unless you start exercising your power to take it from someone else. And I've watched that take a group of people, particularly black people in America, who were thriving up until about the 50s, thriving doing really good. We were creating a whole new economic stream in America. Begin to buy in the 50s this lie that it's someone else's fault. But didn't MLK say he was still not free? Yeah, it, so, and that's one of the things. And he was one of the main leaders of this narrative. If you go back and you watch MLK talk to people who are not applying themselves as they should because they're buying a lie, you'll see that, hey, I'm gonna go talk to the to the president and make sure he understands that you need some food stamps or you need some assistance. I'm gonna go talk. You shouldn't be treated right. like this. That's right. And and instead of saying nobody likes us, but I'm sorry, Malcolm X had a way better understanding of this. He's like, we don't have to ask anybody for, for permission, permission. Right. <laughs> to be able to go to work. <laughs> we don't have to ask anybody for permission to be human. We just be that way. And so, but Martin Luther King had a different approach and felt like, hey, if I can go to Uncle Daddy, I can get everything we need. And But buying into that lie, it hasn't made the plight of black America better. If anything, it's destroyed the trajectory that we are on. Let me, let me give you a couple stats on that. Before 1964-65 civil rights legislation, the um, average black child was growing up in a two-parent household, about 70% actually. And then after the 1964-65 civil rights legislation passed, it basically rewrote our constitution and incentivized singleness in the black community, and those numbers flipped. Now it went 70% of black children were being raised in a single family house. And only in the single black, parent. Single parent. Single, yeah, single parent house, excuse me. And, and so the legislation that promised that 
that, that, that promise that, hey, we got a, your back. But there was a lie. There was a lie that even was so Because Uncle, that. Uncle Daddy was going to be the daddy. He's, mm-hmm. It's their fault. And then but, Uncle Daddy came in 1964, 65. Right. Yeah. And, 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 and that was, and when you buy the and so believe in the lie if the lie is true, then if we were to go plant, on, let's say this is all soil, and I give my brother right here, I give you a seed and I take a seed, and we both go plant the seed, and in three days, the seed doesn't grow. If the lie, if the lie is, you know why your seed didn't grow, Knox? You're black. <laughs> that's why your seed didn't grow. The problem is, he's white, so his seed grew. If that's true, well, then I'm ripping up your, the ground from your seed. There's, 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 what's going to stop me from getting your seed? The problem is, I have a disadvantage. But if it's true that the world does not work that way and that if I put a seed in the ground, it grows just like if you put a seed in the ground, then guess what the race is? Who can put the most seeds in the ground? Who can find the ground? Who can work? Who Who can can engage? Who can be responsible for watering that seed? And then who can make that seed valuable to the next guy? And when we had that understanding that comes from the way that God has made men in his image, made to work, made to uh, toilet with the ground, made to produce goods and services for other people that are valuable. Based on the truth. Then you get something like Black Wall Street before black people could vote. What's Black Wall Street? Black Wall Street. I love talking about Black Wall Street. I love it. It's awesome. Black Wall Street was developed in 1919, 1920 in Oklahoma. In Oklahoma, they had this huge, everybody was doing well and kind of in that area a little, area a little bit. But particularly it's Oklahoma. Texas. They, Texas is right there. That's why everybody's doing, doing well. They were fleeing Texas, and so they did well in Oklahoma. <laughs> Let's just make that clear. Uh, but you, so you had the oil boom going on there in, in um Rock Tulsa area, um, there's a little park called Greenland, I believe it is. I can't remember the exact name of the town. But it's right on the edge of Tulsa. And everything was going well, and black people weren't allowed really to go and do commerce inside of the white community. And so they said, well, shoot, we're working, we're making money. Why don't we start, I don't know, having our own theaters, having our own cabs, having our own restaurants, downtowns, and Uh foods. And they worked so hard that they created this economy that drew the whole world to it. And even the people who didn't like them came and did business with them because their goods were so good. (laughs) And so at that point, nobody cared about color. Their favorite thing was green. That was their favorite color. It was about, is this a good product? Is it worth yeah. it? And now, by the way, you got to remember this context because you got a group of people who supposedly didn't have rights, right? And, and that's true. There was a lot of things they didn't have in the legal system, but that didn't stop the ability for them to work and produce values and goods. This is how crazy this is. So Black Wall Street had a massive riot, tore the whole thing down. Racist riot tore the whole thing down. The name Black Wall Street came after they built it back up again. <laughs> wow. And the commerce was so good and better than before, that's how they got the name Black Wall Street. So the resilience and the, the applying themselves and understanding the truth about how God works, that if I put a seed into the ground, it's going to produce fruit. And I, if I'm using my mind and figure out a way to serve others, I'm going to be blessed. I'm going to have more and I can do it again. When that gets taken away... And you lose the image of God, the way God has made you, who God has made you. Now you believe a lie, you stop producing. You stop giving, you stop making. Because you, you, you think it's someone else's fault. And you start taking. Booker, Booker T. Washington didn't solve his problems by creating safe spaces. Right. You know, sleeping pods, and Wazoo has sleeping pods over there. I don't know if you guys have slept in one. Are uh, sleeping pods just for yeah. sleeping in? Or they're just taking a nap during the middle of, oh, you know. Because it's, it's hard. Stupid. Yeah, it's really it's hard. hard. It's really hard. Yeah. It's just stupid. Uh, you know, but, it's hard but, to be uh, faced with so much truth. A lot, of, a lot of these guys who came out of slavery 
they they came out and started taking responsibility for himself. Taught themselves how to read. Taught them, you know. Well, um, he started the, the Tuskegee Institute. Institute. Yeah. yeah. To to not and didn't put any safe spaces in that building. There probably is now. <laughs> yeah. But uh, one of the other things that he said was, you know, he, uh, Booker T. Washington was was the one who said, um, the thing that we want to do is we want to make ourselves indispensable. That's right. Um, that like that's what you want to do. So no matter what situation you're in. Uh, no matter how you've been mistreated, no matter how you've been forgotten, no matter how the things are, are stacked against you, what you want to do is you, 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 because you live in God's world, you have access to truth. You have access. you got two hands. You, you can work. And what you want to do is you want to work in such a way that you've got what other people around you need. And that goes back to the Black Wall Street uh, situation. Uh, you, you're, you've got goods and services that are so excellent um, that people want to do business with you because truth is the ultimate currency. Reality is the ultimate currency. And I think what's important to mention here, especially for Christians, there is, um, Pastor was talking about the, the way that we see the world, the framework that we have. We tend to see what's going on and see ourselves not getting platforms to speak or being silenced, like these guys who yeah. got asked by the LGBT. Law students. Yeah, yeah, the, yeah the law students. students. Yeah. Um, and what we tend to do is say, oh my goodness, um, we're losing our spaces too. We're, we're losing our ability to have freedom. What do we do now? Aaron Wren talks about this in the negative world. It's a negative world for Christians. It's not a positive thing to be a Christian in public anymore. People, oh, you're that guy. They judge you differently. And so what we tend to do is we want to start acting like the world and saying, how do we then hedge up to take this from them? Right. Right? Instead of saying, wait, 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 what does it look like for us as we're getting silenced to build things that they need, that they need to make things that are valuable, that are indispensable, right? And so our place sometimes is like we're going to fight them with the same cosmology that they have instead of saying, wait a second, how do we build something beautiful that everyone needs? How do we make something that's valuable that they can't live without and make ourselves indispensable and be a blessing to other people? And it's been funny. I've watched, you guys remember Chick-fil-A and the whole kiss gay kiss thing and Chick-fil-A. You guys remember any of that? That was a few years back. Before they were born. Okay, wow. I'm old. Uh, Chick-fil-A? Yeah, um, but the Chick-fil-A, I can't remember, there's a couple homosexuals that were mad at Chick-fil-A for some reason. I can't remember what it was. Oh yeah, because that's Dan right. Cathy said that he was for uh, marriage between a man and a woman and that's how marriage is supposed to be. And they got mad and said, we're going to host a day where we protest Chick-fil-A. Well, it backfired massively. Yeah. Everybody went to Chick-fil-A, even gay people. Even, even, the, even the gay people were, <laughs> they were, like, were listen, tweeting out. I'm, listen. I'm, I'm not canceling Chick-fil-A I'm sandwiches. I'm on your team. I need their shakes and sandwiches. <laughs> but I'm going to tell you about this chicken, though. <laughs> this chicken good. And so, <laughs> and it was just one of those things where Chick-fil-A is like, look, this is our position. We love Everyone, we serve everyone, we treat them because everybody, we love people, we tell them the truth. Chicken. Everybody can eat chicken. And, and because the chicken was so good, they had to say, listen, we can cancel a lot of people, but we ain't canceling Chick-fil-A. <laughs> <laughs> and so it's just one of the things is like, okay, your goods and services are so good, where even the people, it makes your enemies be at peace with you in a lot of ways, right? But that's when you, when you hold to the truth of what God says, you operate in faith, knowing that if you do this, man, this is so important. We operate knowing that God has given us promises, that if we do those things, he will fulfill those promises. And we do that knowing that the road ahead almost looks impossible. How are we going to get out of Egypt? <laughs> we don't have no army. 
Well, have faith and trust in God, and I'll get you out of Egypt. I'm going to make him send you out with gifts and with money and with wealth, and I'm going to kill him in a river. It's going to be amazing. We're like, really? Yes. Have faith. Trust the Lord, and he will do what he says he's going to do if we believe his promises and have faith. And having faith means operating, knowing that those promises are secure. So when we don't see how are we going to make it, we're saying, well, God said that his word would not re- return to him void. So then we use his word and we apply it. So are you saying that prejudice and bigotry don't matter? No, I'm saying that, of course, they matter and God is going to judge those things. But prejudice and bigotry doesn't stop anyone from succeeding. You see, they, they didn't stop... <laughs> Everybody acts like, and this is so, I feel bad for my conservative friends. I love you guys. I'm conservative. I get it. But everybody's like, oh, my goodness, the election was stolen from us. And I'm just sitting back looking like, I know a group of people who hadn't voted for a long time. (laughs) It didn't stop them from getting busy and doing something, right? They they couldn't even come in the front doors of places. They couldn't even drink from the same water fountains. And look. You're talking about COVID, right? Yeah, that's exactly what I'm talking about. (laughs) (laughs) But they couldn't do a lot of things, and those are real issues. But the way that God has made the world, those things can't stand up to faith and obedience. You see what I'm saying? It's not that we don't have real issues that we have to face. We do. But how do we deal with them? In the way to gain power or trusting in what God has said, getting to work and becoming a blessing. The world is not the way they say it is. It's flipped upside down. We don't become successful by taking from people. That's right. We become successful by giving up our lives for people like Christ did. Mm -hmm. And when we do that and we serve people, the the, the people who get to the top are the ones that are at the bottom. How do I love my neighbor? You know what Chick-fil-A did that was so amazing? Everybody, they told everybody who came to Chick-fil-A that was gay, they were going to give them free food. They were going to serve them. Do we disagree with you? Dan Cathy didn't change his position. Nope, marriage still between a man and a woman. Ain't changing that. That's it. I want you to know Jesus so much, I'm going to give you a free chicken sandwich. Do you know they showed up? And they had people who were there to evangelize and minister and listen. And you know it's really good to listen to somebody when you're eating a Chick-fil-A sandwich. (laughs) (laughs) Keep talking. Keep talking. (laughs) Mm, When you can give them a piece of Chick-fil-A sandwich, like, listen, okay, no, that's a good point. That's a good point. You got another one of them Chick-fil-A's? So, but it was was wisdom. What we have to deal with, is there real oppression? Yes, there is. Is there real violence? Is there real racism? Yes, there is. But just a per- point of personal uh, reference here, I have to, I've had to deal with these things. And I worked for two years with a guy who was as racist as you can possibly be <laughs> and was clear to, and I loved him because he was clear to me that he was. He told me exactly how racist he was. <laughs> I mean, black people can't work. They lazy. I don't even know why they got big lips. I mean, he was, he was pretty clear. <laughs> He was pretty clear, and, um, but I had grown up with a godly mother and a godly father who wasn't afraid of the world and believed that the gospel of Jesus Christ, and so I'm like, oh my goodness, he doesn't even know who he's messing with, and they hired me, and before I stopped working there, that man was coming to pick me up every day for work. Huh. He's like, man, I, I enjoy being with you. I've not met anybody like you, and he's like, you've changed my whole perspective, and I'm nothing special. Y'all can see that. <laughs> My wife thinks so. <laughs> but it wasn't the way that I, I believe the gospel has the ability to change a man's heart. And his attitude towards me didn't take a pr- pr- priority over what I believed about the gospel. Right, yeah. And that's because, again, the truth 
is what matters. That's right. The truth, the truth about the gospel, the truth about the way the world works, the truth about um, real goods and services, the truth about honesty, the truth about integrity, the truth about hard work. Um, that is really how the world works. And, and it's not, I mean, I think sometimes we think of this in, in really, really sort of vague ways. But Jesus said, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Mm-hmm. And, and, um, and that's, that's not just him giving some kind of pious platitude. He's actually saying, like, this is how the world works. This is how the world works. It actually works on truth. It's built on the truth of God's word, the truth of his created world, and the truth um, that, that runs the world. That really is the way of freedom. It really is the way of flourishing, human flourishing. And, and to your point, yeah, does, does, uh, does prejudice, uh, does that slow some of that down? Sure. Does it, does it make it more difficult? Sure. But it doesn't actually stand a chance against truth. I'm just thinking a couple things. Um, uh, first of all, uh, make sure you get some questions in uh, here. I think you text the line on here. Text the phone number. Text the phone number. Who's got the computer? And uh, he'll be setting up here in a minute. Okay. And, um, uh, but just thinking about like university culture and how everything is structured and set up to not, um, not only kind of not care about truth, but it, it to lull you asleep. Um, yes. You could be on college campus and, and for four years and then come out of college campus and never wash your clothes, never cook food, never pay electric bill because you're on campus. If you do you're, that, you nasty. <laughs> no, I'm just going to tell you right now. No, uh, the university will wash your clothes. Do they really? Yeah, do you they, have university nasty. services that will wash your clothes. You don't wash their Okay, yeah. Um, <laughs> Uh, you you go to Chick Fil A here in the Commons. You can be on campus and not have any responsibility, not any learn any real world you know how to pay my bill kind of um, kind of tasks, and then you can go to the classroom where you can't challenge your professor, you can't speak out in class, you know. So the university culture it's all structured to kind of incentivize this 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 apathy that you just need to take what you're given, and 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 run with it. Uh, that's why uh, you know truth you know, to Toby's point here, truth is necessary for the flourishing of, of society. And, but when you're um, drinking the Kool-Aid of university culture and not thinking, not being a thinking Christian on campus, that's dangerous. Um, uh, I'm not gonna mention any names, but um, one of my buddies uh, is over, over at Wazoo and he got a homework assignment to go write a paper about his favorite safe, 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 space, safe space, safe space. And um, uh, so he had to write a paper about his favorite safe space. And I was, my first thought to my head was, well, you should have wrote, wrote a paper about church. This is my safe space. I go and write. I repent of my sins every Sunday. <laughs> I'm safe in Jesus. I, I go and I take communion with the brothers. That's my safe space. You know, do you think he would have gotten a good grade on that? You know? Yeah. You, you know he, but, but you have to play the game or you're going to lose. So if, if, you know, one of the things I think you guys, especially college students here, need to learn to do is figure out with your gifts and your abilities how to interact in the classroom. Don't sit there. Don't just sit there. Don't, because you're, what you're learning is you're learning a passive relationship between um, the truth of God's word and the power structures in our society. And that's, that's not training grounds. And, and that by itself actually is capitulating because the mm-hmm. thing is, is that you're, you're, you're thinking, they're, the teacher's in charge, the university's in charge, and they have the power over my grades. And so I need to keep my mouth shut, keep my head down, and don't speak up because they are in charge because they have the power. Mm-hmm. What have you done? 
you've just capitulated to the narrative. You're saying the way the world works is those who are in power have the power, and I can't do anything unless I have power, and since I don't have power, I'm just gonna sit here on my chair, because if I speak up, I'm in trouble, and there's nothing I can do. Now, if you speak up, it's, it's probably gonna be fireworks. Mm-hmm. Um, there's, there's gonna be challenges and difficulties, but the question is, is um, does truth matter? Does truth matter, and does truth win? Does, does truth win? Gabe's telling a story about his, um, his favorite class from college earlier, um, where he's peppered with questions, and he sits there and answers for an hour and a half, then um, gets yelled at by somebody who says he hates him, and then his teacher uh, reprimands Gabe. Rebukes me. But what happened? In, in, at least in that moment, there was a whole bunch of people in that class, at least a bunch of football players, yeah. who th- said, what in the world's going on? Mm-hmm. What in the world's going on? In that moment, the there was a flash of truth. Uh, you know, yeah, who, knows right. what, I mean, who knows what God did with that? Yeah. But that truth flashed there right in front of their eyes, and they, they said, whoa, wait a second. The, the teacher is the one doing the oppressing. You know, the, the <laughs> yeah. one that's always calling out all the, like, yeah. what is happening here? And, and there's the hate. What, what's going on? But that's the thing is, if you, and if you believe, back to what Knox's point was a minute ago, if you believe that God is in heaven, and that he, his word is true fundamentally, then when you speak up and you tell the truth or you question the, the, the narrative with the truth, um, God sees it and God blesses it. God sees it and God blesses it. That's, um, that's, that's huge. Uh, last thing I want to say before we get to the questions is I just, I just want to um, remind you that um, the point here is, is I don't think this is merely a matter of wasting time in college. I think what we're talking about is a culture-wide phenomenon. And I, th- I think we're, um, uh, we, we have embraced this narrative of power plays broadly in the culture because this is what the universities have been feeding uh, the, the culture over the last uh, number of decades. But this is going to have, this is already having, and it's going to have more and more an impact on our world. This is not just theoretical. This is, I mean, how are businesses going to be run? How, are, how, um, how, uh, how is science going to be done? How is engineering going to be done? Um, some of you might have seen the recent he- headlines with airline industries. I mean, uh, you know, I, I, I just want pilots that can fly. Right. Right? And that's, I, I, don't, I don't, you know, I really don't care too much. But I just, I do want well, you to The door to, stays on. I, I want, yeah, I want, I want people who know how to, yeah. you know, fasten down rivets and keep doors on planes and yeah. get, make the plane go up and make the plane come back down. I mean, that, that's what I want. And, but it's like... But if, if the main thing, if the most important thing is being aware of the power struggles between various racial groups or various ethnicities or various sexualities or sexual orientations, you, you better believe that truth is the casualty. Truth is the casualty. And soon you will be too. And pretty soon <laughs> you will be too. Right, pretty soon you will be too. You know, it's funny as you Th- talked this about. This has real world consequences. It's funny as you talked about that. I was just thinking, uh, Gabe, you ready for questions? You make your point. I was just, I'm just thinking about that. You know, we were dealing with this in churches before they ever got to the cockpit. Yeah. You had Matt right. Chandler talking about he'd rather have a black seven than a white eight. Explain, but you have right. to explain the whole so thing. During, that during doesn't the make whole, sense to anybody. So Matt <laughs> Chandler, that. yeah, I know. I just like staying things. And yeah, like, I know. Google so, it. Go Google it. <laughs> Matt Chandler is a reformed pastor, I believe he's in Texas. Yep. And he was they're doing a lot of church planting, and they basically went woke and started buying the whole narrative. That you of, have to have like a certain number of like black elders white and white elders and Hispanic mm-hmm. elders or whatever. And they hired a, a, a firm, a consulting firm, to help them identify elders in their church. 
Right. And so they said, with, okay. With like DEI stuff in mind. And so the firm comes back and says, listen, man, you got these qualified guys over here, but they're not black. And so what do you want us to do and how do you want to select what's going on here? We got some black guys and they're good, but they're not as good as these other guys over here. And since, since it's so messed up that we even have to categorize it like that. So just, yeah. that's how messed up it is. But he's like... Didn't Paul they, just say, be husband of one wife? <laughs> be, they, don't they, get drunk. You know, asked, like, would you rather have... You know, he, he rated them. They're like yeah, the qualities. The and qualities he's like, between... He's, he's like, all right, what, what do I have here? Um, is it a black seven or a white eight? Or he's like, what is it? He's like, I'd rather have a black seven than a white eight. And that's like that's how he's rating spiritual leadership. And I'm thinking, as a person who is and so, if Knox is the elder at his church, no, what is he to Matt Chandler? Well, no, he doesn't know. Forget being an elder. He doesn't know. Do you want to be a member there? You mean to tell me I could have had better pastor, but you chose one because of the color of his skin, and now I'm going to hell? Oh no, I'm not doing that. <laughs> I mean, you think about it. It's like, wait yeah. a second. As a person who has situations, listen. My divorce ain't black. My divorce is divorce. It doesn't have a color. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I, I need yeah. help with my soul. Your sin doesn't have my, a color. My sin doesn't have a color, right? It, it, it needs spiritual help. And I need the guy who knows the most and is most capable with the word of God to help me. If we're fighting against the enemy, it's like, you want a, 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 a white eight sniper or a seven black sniper? <laughs> I don't I'll care. Take a, I'll take a six Chinese lady. <laughs> Give me the guy. <laughs> We're in trouble. <laughs> Give me the guy who can kill the other guy the best. That's who I want. And so, but now we've gotten all the way to the points of pilots. But we need we need guys in dresses. That's what we and need. That's guys in dresses. Where we and that's so it, it yeah. Not having the truth is detrimental to all of our safety. Oh man. All right. What do you okay, got for questions? Okay. So. Um, uh, there's a couple questions around this. Uh, I'll just start here. Do you think that STEM studies will go down the same level route that humanities have at secular universities? And I would, I mean, I, I think they already are going down that. Yeah. I mean, look yeah. at yeah. look at the hospital charts. Yeah. You know, this this guy identifies as a woman on a hospital chart. They they do that now. Right. And the the, the nurse comes in and reads the chart and it says woman and she looks over and. It's a man. I mean, she knows it's a man. <laughs> you know, does does she right. treat treat him with estrogen or what? You know, you know, what do you do? It's already doing it. COVID is is would be a great example yeah. of of this. Where like that. I mean, that's that's where this is going. Is mm -hmm. it's it's getting? I think right now getting bought by you know big pharmaceutical companies are being bought by millions and billions of dollars, which is why Pfizer has all the most exciting. Commercials during the uh, Super Bowl because they're buying the networks. They aren't. Yeah, they aren't. Um, but that's, advertising their stuff. They're but, buying but, the networks. But that's the beginning of it. The other um, other piece is more anecdotal. The uh, Smithsonian had a, um, oh, right. a, a um, some kind of display or it was a PDF. It was um, a PDF that was report yeah, yeah. on on signs yeah. of white supremacy. And, and this is Smithsonian, and um, and. Signs of white supremacy are emphasis of math, basic mathematics. Protestant showing, work ethic. Showing up Pro on time. Protestant work showing ethic. Showing up on time. Yep. Um, Protestant work ethic. Um, emphasis on, on family, marriage. Mm -hmm. um, these are all signs of white supremacy. And apparently uh, the black community doesn't have that. Right. It's funny how racist you really become right. when you give up truth. <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing how fast you get real racist, and you're like, I don't think no. that's it. I found out Knox was a white supremacist. I, actually, I'm the I'm the head yeah. of white supremacy, the, oh. the true fir first face of white supremacy. Oh, yeah. Yes, Knox lost his, lost his black card when he started cross politics uh, with us. 
<laughs> oh no, I lost it way before. Way, way before that. Yeah, way yeah, yeah. before that. I think to, to that question though, I, I think I think there are some some in some respects. Um, I mean, because God made the world a certain way, and and gravity exists. Like there's certain aspects of um, the the STEM departments that is that, like they, it's not as easy. To, to rip away from reality. Because right. like, at the end of the day, is the suspension bridge gonna stand up or not, <laughs> all right? But I, but I think it is absolutely eroding, back to my airplane you know, example. I mean, why, I mean that's, there, that's where this is going. And I do think we have seen, I mean, with, with some glorious counterexamples, I do think that um, innovation, scientific innovation and creativity has massively slowed down. I mean, if you think about how we went from the Wright brothers uh, to the landing on the moon, and you look at this and you say, what, what, what um, not in every respect and not in every area, certainly. It depends uh, on who you ask, because some people say, yeah, but, absolutely. Yeah. But, you know, I mean, and well, there's, there's some bright counterexamples, like the Elon Musks of the world, that are really doing a whole bunch of different, uh, uh, cool stuff, but. Borrowing a lot of God's creation to do it. Yeah. You know, stupidity doesn't really work in the, in the long run. I am a, uh, um, a couple weeks ago, I tweeted out, um, you guys know what a furry is? Okay, someone who identifies. Somebody over here really knows. Someone who identifies an animal. Oh, yeah. And I, I tweeted out, if, if someone is a, identifies as a furry and they identify as a deer, can I shoot them during hunting season? <laughs> Riddle me that. <laughs> uh, n- next question here. Everybody I, took it really well. Yeah, yeah. It was, it was great. Got a lot of feedback on Twitter. How, how do we get a professional scientific education to become a doctor, for example, outside a public university? Um, you know, one thing oh, Christians Can I, can have, I answer this yeah, one? Yeah, go. Can, okay. When Gabe was talking earlier about, like, okay, you got to take a stand. First of all, Gabe graduated, so that should tell you you'll be okay. <laughs> okay? So that's evidence. I never one. thought my graduation would be encouragement to so many people. <laughs> and I just want you to think about the last three years in COVID. Who failed us the most? Probably the a lot of our doctors. The PhDs. Everybody told us yeah. they had all the information. And they had chains of people who gave them information all the way from the WHO to um, NIH. All of, so, and everybody went looking for an alternative version to what we're used to getting. That's going to be the new hotness. Somebody who doesn't follow along with the standard. Do you know your stuff? Do you understand? And how, have you, can you prove it? Um, there are guys, okay, I love finding me a ghetto mechanic. Do y'all know what a ghetto mechanic is? Mm. Okay. He knows how to fix okay, anything with anything. He's a guy with a cigarette in his mouth. He's just been doing it and taking things apart for years since his little Legos and cars. And, and he just knows, oh, here's got to do, son. You got to put this right here, put that right there. I'll put it all together for you. I'll be back in 15 minutes. How much is it going to cost? Oh, I don't know, about $30. <laughs> and it still runs. You're like, this guy knows what he's doing. And that's going to be the value card of the future. Do you know what you're doing and can you prove that? And so the information, that, so I'm not saying don't go to, to college and get your um, medical degree and stuff. I'm saying it's good to do, but it's not the only way. It's alternative ways to do this. And the way that medicine is going, the embargo from Big Pharma is going to break. You, there are all sorts of alternative forms. What's um, Ben Greenfield, another guy too, and mm-hmm. guys like that. Mm-hmm. There are all sorts of forms of industry that alternative medicine that people are waking up to that we want and need because we don't trust the institutions anymore. And so if you keep going down the institutional way, there would be a point where people are like, yeah, I don't know if I can trust you because I don't know if you did the research. Good doctors who I love 
have fallen into, been loath to sleep in the institution that they couldn't think during COVID. Mm-hmm. They couldn't think well at all, and they're telling people no. to do all sorts of stuff no. they need to be doing. And they know masks don't work. Well, the CDC told us, and they couldn't think. You not only will be more attractive, but you will also be saving people's lives, not, not holding to that narrative. And people will trust you. You ever go to Amazon? I'm just telling you how the world's changed. You go to Amazon. Do any of those people who give you reviews have a specialist by the name? Special reviewer of water bottles. How many times have you read them like they do, though? You read an Amazon review, and you're like, man, sounds like this guy loved it. Oh, this guy loved it, too. Oh, wow, everybody seems to really like this, <laughs> right? AI right now is gathering the comments from reviews and saying, it seems to be this is what people love about this product, and you just take it, yeah. right? Because the, the, the currency is going to be trust. Can you prove that you can do what you can do and Re- do you know what you're talking about? Related to this, I would say and this is happening in a lot of industries, but I think it's happening in, in medicine in particular where um, I think people who care about the truth are finding each other. That's right. And, and so there's, there are these sort of, you know, what, I don't know what you want to call it, these, these networks. That Enclaves. Are forming. <laughs> Enclaves. Um, uh, you know, I don't know, probably on signal or something. And, um, and but you are, people are finding each other. They're realizing, okay, um, there's... There's people who are just doing whatever they're told mindlessly. Yeah. And then there are people who are thinking and they're working together and they're finding one another. And I think there are pockets of um, thoughtful people who believe in truth um, and are willing to just say, wherever the truth takes us, that's what we're doing. And those people are finding each other and they're finding each other in um, probably in certain uh, medical schools and in certain yeah. departments of medical schools. Yep. And I think there's gonna to have to be quite a bit of creativity there. So I think there's, there's probably room for the, the straight um, you know, ghetto doctor, although I'm not sure I want that guy working so, on my so heart. Hey. Someone asked the question, uh, would you trust a ghetto mechanic on a knee replacement? Yeah, so right now there's actually a doctor out in Oklahoma yeah. who is doing surgeries on knees and He's shoulders. He's bringing up Oklahoma. Yeah, you know, know, hey, it's not in Black Wall Street, and it is a white guy, but uh, (laughs) uh, that's okay. But in Texas, too, and I think that we're trying, there's a group here who's trying to do that as well. Surgery Center, Surgery Center, based off the same thing in Oklahoma. Out of Mm -hmm. the traditional environment and into its, uh, we know a guy right now who in Alabama who's got basically his own, what do they call it? Medical system, Emergency care centers and and uh, hospitals, basically. That are privately owned, and he's a, because he has everything in one building, he's able to do everything immediately. Mm-hmm. Get your lab work, get your x rays, get whatever you need in the same day to be able to serve you. And, and he had so, major higher ups in Facebook and Google flying I, I just want you to family know, members out there to, to, to get help under, in COVID. The ghetto mechanic has to prove himself more than anybody else because if his stuff don't work, everybody know about it. Yep. Right? Hey man, he, get don't, the, he get that ghetto one star review. But everybody knows. But if his stuff work, yeah. his lot will be full. Yeah. And and that's the one thing too. They'll fix it if it don't work. Yeah. <laughs> right. Not, a, not that would you want to hear that. I'm just know. saying. But let's act like. But not. but the but the point is, I think you you know we're using the term ghetto mechanic. But what we're trying to get at is building your own infrastructure, being yeah. anti fragile, and and growing in an industry in a way where you're going to be. Um, get high demand over time. We aren't participating in the in a crazy, you know, medical industrial complex. You know, when you go to the restaurant and like there's nobody in there, you're like in a new town and you're, never, you're like, what's wrong with this restaurant? Mm-hmm. But you see this little hole in the wall and it's like jam packed, and you think this is where we need to go. 
pull over. Um, so where do we draw the line when it comes to education, when it has no foundation of truth? Is it really worth it to go to college with that secular cosmology? <laughs> no. Pastor. Uh, uh, um, yeah, I mean, everything's going to depend on a number of details, but I would say... It's so nuanced. That's we're, good. We're, we're, at, we're, at, we're at the place, though, that there should... I mean, I think if there was a time in which it just sort of was... A, it, like, the default was, um, go to college, that would be good for you. I think it's... I, think, I don't think we should have that default anymore. I think our, our, what we should be interested in is learning and truth, and then we need to find out where we can get it. And I think sometimes you, right. can, you, sometimes you can get that still um, by being very selective of which courses you take and all the rest of it in the program you're in, in, in a secular university. But I think you, your default needs to be, basically, I've got to be very, very careful and very, very selective. Um, the other thing to remember is um, because of the state of things, our, our friend Andrew Krabbyshutz, who um, is the CEO of Red Balloon, um, uh, local um, uh, uh, job posting uh, website, Redballoon.work. Shout out. Redballoon.work. They didn't even pay work. for that. Yeah, that was a free one. Um, the, uh, but uh, but he, he, um, his company does, has done a couple of recent um, surveys. And, That's right. And it yeah. came back, at, we're, like, just surveying um, employers who are hiring um, people. And a, a college degree is basically not any leg up anymore. Um, and some of that's because industries are changing so fast, but some of that's also because it's, you've got guys like the graduate that, that, um, that um, Gabe interviewed recently who got a degree and doesn't, the degree doesn't actually match um, um, his skills. And so there are a bunch of employers are saying basically, um, that doesn't tell me what I need to know. It doesn't help. It doesn't, I, don't, I look at that, and, I, and wasn't there some percentage of them where they were even like, um, I actually am a little bit like doubtful. If you have a, if you have a yeah. college degree, yep. I'm sort of worried that you might be, um, uh, it might be worse. Yeah. Um, so I think we have to just recognize that that's, it, we need to be searching for truth. We need to be um, uh, searching um, for actual skills that we think we believe that we need and then, and then pursue that 110%, but it's anymore going to be a lot more hodgepodge. Okay, I just want to say one more thing too to this and then we can move on, but this is really important. Um, this doesn't apply to every industry, but I will say it applies to most of them. Can you get a, a full college degree for 30K? Is, can, I don't think you can. Can you? Full um, I mean, if you combine it with like community college or something. Okay, yeah, <laughs> you maybe, know. Okay, so maybe. So maybe. But I mean, I, would, I went to two but, community colleges. I should know. Uh, <laughs> but let's just say for a second, that's your education is 30K. Take that 30K, find the industry that you want to be in, walk up to the door. I will pay you 30K to teach me how to do this yeah. and see who doesn't let you in. Because then, then you're going to be like, I don't, I shouldn't be there anyway. <laughs> Who wants to take 30K? I'll take 30K. I'll work my butt off. If I don't work hard, you can fire me. Yeah. And then see if you don't get through the door. Like there's other ways to get the education than the traditional way. And, then, and, then, and it seems like we're going to have to learn this the hard way. Yeah. Well, and, I mean, there's a, there's a number of things there. But like the, the culture of work um, and uh, hard work and effort coming in this next generation. They want to work their own hours. They don't want to come in eight to five. I mean, there's this whole next generation that's been taught at college. Gabe, they're right, been in spooed, of, they're right in front of you. You're, 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 you're talk about them like that? I'm, 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 I'm not assuming it's them. Okay. Um, uh, but have you know been living that university lifestyle that's very disconnected from the world, and then they go to get a, to get a real job, and they go like, oh, I got to work from eight to five. You know, I got to be there eight hours a day. I get a half hour lunch break. 
You know, those, those are real things that are happening. But what, kind of the dynamic in the 90s and early 2000s, the job market was tight. And so one of the ways the industry would kind of filter out um, applicants would be, well, if you don't have a four-year degree. Yeah. Yep. And so they were using that. Now, uh, now most companies will hire without a four-year degree easily. We got time for yeah. maybe one more. A uh, couple co- co- more questions. Um, uh, I've been taking an ethics class uh, on wilderness. Wilderness. There's a lot of talk about lack of representation for Native Americans and other minorities in the wilderness, in wilderness history, and other topics. I feel like the structure of the class is narrowing my vision and confusing my understanding of what nature is. How do I keep my head on straight? Good question. Gabe, I didn't take a wilderness class. <laughs> I took I took human diversity and stratification. Well, I think I think um, two things that really helped uh, helped me when I was at, at college. One is I had um, a mentor and my college my my college leader, which somehow became my father in law. Um, uh, I had I had a, a a godly mentor in my life um, that I could check in regularly with, uh, and and then the other thing was I was. Growing in the Lord. I mean, I was reading my Bible. I was learning more about the Word than I ever had before because I actually cared about it. And then in that condition and in that environment, when my faith was challenged, it, it, it fed me. It strengthened me. It got me excited. I mean, for an hour and a half, I was being drilled about the gospel and my church and my community. That was, like, energizing. Um, and so, you know, being steeped in the Scriptures, when you're going through these weird ethic classes— you know, talking about Native Americans and, you know, representation and, and all these, again, power structures that aren't grounded in the Word of God, that aren't grounded in truth. Um, if you're grounded in God's Word and you're surrounded by a good community with some good leadership, that, that should help you pretty well. Here's another suggestion is I think sometimes it, when you're in a class where you feel like you're, you're like, you've got a fire hose coming at you of, and you're like, I don't know what's going on and you're starting to feel disoriented, I, I would just suggest asking a lot of questions. Just ask question. Where, where'd you get that? What's the where's where's the information for that? Where where'd you find out that? What do you mean by that? Because mm-hmm. um, yeah. I think what's frequently happened is a, a very very it's assumed a very very tight yeah. narrative has been formed yeah. uh, that is has often has a lot of propaganda all behind it, and all you have to do is pull a thread, and the whole thing just starts um, coming apart. Um, I would just, and so don't feel like. You have to understand everything in order to be able to question. You're a student. Ask a question. What, what does that mean? What do you mean by that? Um, where did you get that information? Are there resources on this? Where can I find out more about this? Just ask. You're a student. You're the one. Remember, you're paying them a lot of money. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right? It's like, don't sit there and be like, well, I guess they know everything, or I don't know, what, I don't know, I don't know all the answers. Of course, you, you're the student. You're the, so ask, the, ask questions, ask lots of questions, and I, I bet you, even if the whole thing doesn't fall apart, I'm guessing that as you ask questions... Other students will see it. Certain, yeah, yeah mm-hmm. um, certain things will start coming mm-hmm. out that you... That doesn't make any sense. Where, why, do you, why are you saying that? Where's that coming from? One other thing, too, is in a relatively new book. I just got it. I haven't read it yet, but I, um, I hear good things about it. But related to this topic is a book called Not Stolen. Not Stolen. The Truth About European Colonialism uh, in the New World. Um, I don't know if that is related to the questioner, but uh, Jeff Finn Paul is the, is the it's a, it's a um, hyphenated last name, but you know, uh, sometimes, yeah, sometimes, <laughs> sometimes it happens. Sometimes yeah. it happens to yeah. people, right? Don't Two worry. moms, I don't know. Yeah, not... 
<laughs> Don't. Not, not stolen. Not stolen. Check it out. Um, all right. So two more questions, and then we'll be done here. So stop texting. Um, are they still texting? Uh, what, what are your thoughts on how this loss of truth is affecting the justice system, uh, the legal profession? Uh, mm. Have you heard of the term uh, judicial activism? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's tattooed on his back. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I got that when I was in jail for three hours. Um, there's... Wow, they got you fast. <laughs> I came out with the, you know, uh, uh, judicial activism on the back and no regrets on the front. <laughs> I mean... You know, I mean, there's so much here. I mean, judicial activism. I mean, uh, right now, pro-lifers in Tennessee have been convicted wow. of the FACE Act. I mean, they could send, spend up to 10 years in jail. Um, they have a, a, a liberal-appointed judge that convicted them. Um, it'll get appealed, but it could, if, it, if they get convicted and they go to jail, the appeal will happen while they're in jail. That appeal could take up to three years. Tell the story about the... Um the, the Colorado case that we just interviewed somebody on, um, it, it, it went up to the Supreme Court, uh, the, the um, voting. taking uh, voting. Trump off the, what was the? So Trump, Trump in Colorado um, was. Uh, and this is not like some kind of Trump endorsement. I'm just pointing out judicial activism. A, the, a, go ahead. No, well, okay. uh, finish it. A, a, um, uh, they brought up charges to, to, on, on, to Trump on um, uh, the 14th Amendment uh, basically that he was part of, participated in the insurrection in D.C., and therefore, if found guilty in Colorado, which he was found guilty, that he uh, wouldn't be allowed to be on the ballot okay. under the 14th Amendment insurrection right. clause. Right. And the, uh, the trial, Trump didn't show up, uh, the trial was a, uh, an uh, some, activist. Some a, random a, a expert district witness. Attorney, yeah. um, a district attorney, and then some random expert witness uh, that was a university professor talking about the 14th Amendment. And then what was allowed as evidence in the trial was, the, um, uh, was a bunch of hearsay. Uh, the whole trial was a joke, and then that was what went up to Supreme Court. But it, it was initially appealed to the Colorado Supreme Court. And, and they the, upheld and it. the Colorado Supreme Court upheld that. Um, the same Supreme Court that went after Jack the cake baker. Yeah. You know, it's, it's all the stuff. Locally, here in our town, um, you know, I had to fight for three years for my First and Fourth Amendment rights. Right now, um, my buddy Nate is still dealing with his, his kid who were putting up free speech stickers in town, and he's going to the, he, he went to the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court um, uh, uh, brought it to a district judge, and so not right now, his case on putting stickers up on polls, which all college students do. There's no stickers on any polls There's no stickers anywhere anymore. in town here. Um, is right now before a liberal district judge appointed by Clinton or Obama, one of those guys. Uh, one of the worst district judges. I end up winning my case. I had a crazy enough, a conservative uh, uh, judge out of California pointed in my case here. It was crazy. Um, so, yeah, judicial activism, we got a massive problem with, in our judicial system. I mean, here in Idaho, again, uh, we had a guy go to jail here in Idaho and then request for a sex chain surgery in prison here in Idaho, and that same federal judge awarded, that's overseeing Nate's trial, that same federal judge awarded him $50,000 from the state to be able to get sex assignment, reassignment surgery. But, you, but when you have judges for the last 50, 60 years overseeing abortion in our land, we got blood all over our Supreme Court. We got blood all over our district judges. We got blood all over our, our states on this issue. Right. And, but I want to go back to, to what we've been talking about th through this whole show, which is 
That's not just, and and we ought to exercise our um, constitutional rights as much as we possibly can. And at the same time, don't fall into the uh, the trap of thinking that that's where all the action is, because they have the power and yep. they're oppressing that's us. Right. Um, remember, remember, the truth is what matters most. Now, I know for some people, it's like you say, well, I can't build anything because I'm, I'm, you know, I'm in prison or I'm, I'm getting arrested or whatever, right? And that's, uh, and that's hard, harsh, and wicked. Um, but, but I think for the rest of us, we ought to be saying, but the truth wins. Mm-hmm. The truth wins because this is God's world. And even though there's a bunch of judicial activists who are abusing their authority uh, um, uh, uh, in various judicial ways, uh, we, we should be thinking to ourselves, but truth is more powerful. Yeah. Um, hard work is more powerful. Honesty is more powerful. Um, build something um, that you can leave to your grandchildren. Um, create, invent, discover. This is yeah. God's world, and that's how we win. You know, yeah. Well, uh, uh, last question. I was going to go on, but last question is: um, I had it. Okay. From an evangelical standpoint, isn't the U of I where strong Christian students ought to be? It, uh, this goes back to Jim Wilson. If you're a fighter, yeah. If you're a fighter, absolutely. Uh, if if um, if you're ready to be, uh, if you're ready for guerrilla warfare, if if you're ready to go in and fight, then absolutely. I, um, I think chances are good that you'll probably get kicked out before you graduate if you're fighting. Um, that just sounds fun. Um, but, yeah, it, it's glorious. And, but you might Dave not. Dave made it. You, you might not. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Remember, uh, Nate Wilson uh, got kicked out, you know, um, because he, in one of his freshman classes, I'm probably botching the story, Nate, sorry, but something like, um, he had a, a teacher that gave a lecture on basically why nihilism was true. That, um, you know, that there's no meaning, ultimate meaning to the world, no ultimate meaning to life. It doesn't matter. And um, nothing really matters. And then he had to write a response paper to it. It's supposed to be like three pages, you know, typed, double-spaced. And so um, Nate, being Nate, um, typed one sentence that said, um, since nothing really matters, this paper doesn't matter. And then put stapled his put, three, stapled, stapled three pa- blank pages together and turned it in. And the teacher, I think, in the, in and, the and classroom the, said, do, you do not need to take what I said to your logical conclusion. <laughs> He's like, oh, I thought we were learning truth. Mm. Yeah. Um, uh, and so he got failed or something like that. But, um, but uh, you know, to, to add to that, you know, and this is why I think college ministry is important. Is important is because Absolutely. every four years you have a new set of fresh students to witness to, to minister to. Um, uh, universities are a a clash. Uh, you can you can make big splashes on university campuses very easily. I mean, we brought in Vody Bakum on a, and did a talk on why gay is not the new black. You know that it, it created a big splash. You can you can uh, evan, evangelistic opportunities on on university campuses are in, in a lot of ways. Um, there's the day-to-day routine, which is difficult, and you're trying to connect with students, but there's some cultural things you can do on campus to make big splashes. And the, the, th- and the thing is, is, the point isn't just the splash. The mm-hmm. point is w- when the light and the darkness collide. Mm-hmm. I, I think, part, again, part of the way that we've bought the lie, bought the narrative, is that when the c- collision happens and people are upset, or offended, or whatever. We think we must have done something wrong. That's right. That's what Christians mm-hmm. have been trained to do. Think that you've done something wrong. You're not being but, loving. But read the book of Acts again sometimes. Uh, sometime. Um, I, I like to times. Call, sometimes. Sometimes. That's sometimes. good. That's yeah, good. Yeah. Multiple times. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I was, I was doing yeah. a gayism. Yeah. Um, it worked. I, 
I sometimes I like to call the book of Acts, it's the story of, uh, it's evangelism by riot. And it's just one collision after another, after another, after another, throughout the whole book of Acts. And it culminating in uh, a riot that gets Paul arrested, that gets Paul an all-expenses-paid trip to the capital of the empire. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Where it ends with him uh, under house arrest, but it says, freely preaching the gospel. <laughs> right? Beautiful. So, so now, you've got to guard your heart and not be angry and not be bitter because um, we, we need to be full of the Holy Spirit. But when you're full of the Holy Spirit and you tell the truth, you need to expect the collision. You've got to expect the fireworks. You've got to ex expect that splash. And that's the moment where you think, all right, now people are going to get to see the truth. Now people are going to get to see uh, the truth. And that's, the th and, then you, and that's when you need to be thinking, and uh, now we're winning. Think, think of all the massive decisions you guys are going to make, college students are going to make between the ages of 18 and, you know, 24 or 25, whatever. Uh, you're going to <laughs> it decide. It takes you 10 years to graduate. Yeah, like me, <laughs> six years. Um, you know, you're going to decide, likely decide, you know, where you're going to go to college, what kind of church um, member you're going to be outside the house, um, not living under mom and dad's roof. You're, you're going to decide, likely, who you're going to marry, uh, what job you're going to get for the next, you know, five years, 10 years life what career you're going to go down. I mean, there's massive decisions happening in, in your life right now. And that is, um, opens up the door for all sorts of opportunity to evangelize. Um, so, I mean, I, I, I think, you know, yeah, go for great. it. Knox, you want to close out? Yeah. So, uh, thanks Ciara for having us. Appreciate you guys coming out yeah. to hang out with us and listen, if you're single, get married. If you're married, have you some kids. And if you have kids, Go baptize them. Until next time, we're invited. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Go fight, laugh, and feast. This is Cross Politic. Thank you, guys. Thank you.